I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome along to this La Liga Lowdown episode as we tackle the November international break and also look back at the first third of the La Liga season with some questions sent in from you, our followers. I'm your host, Jim McTeer, and I'll be joined shortly by Paco Pollitt and Roman de Arquer. Before that, though, let me try to break down what's going on this week with the Spanish national team. They've scored 12 goals and conceded none as they defeated Malta 7-0 and Romania 5-0 in their final two Euro 2020 qualifiers, securing a top seed in the process. But nobody really cares about that. The topic on everyone's lips is Wondergate as the post-match managerial drama from after Monday night's Spain versus Romania match. That's the big talking point because Luis Enrique is back in charge of the Spanish national team. So first, let's establish some facts. Luis Enrique was a coach of Spain after taking over following the 2018 World Cup. He was in charge for the UEFA Nations League campaign and for the first Euro 2020 qualifier that Spain won 2-1 against Norway at Mestalla. Days later, they went to Malta for a match on March 26, 2019, but Luis Enrique had to return to Spain because of what happened to his daughter. At that point, his assistant Robert Moreno became caretaker coach and, let's be honest, it was the first time that most of Spain had ever heard of him. Luis Enrique ultimately decided to step aside as Spain coach and caretaker Robert Moreno was made permanent coach on June 19th. He was in charge for the rest of Spain's qualifying campaign and, in total, he coached nine matches and recorded seven wins, two draws, no defeats and the team scored 29 goals while conceding four. During this time we had the sad news of the death of Luis Enrique's daughter at the end of August and on September 3rd Robert Moreno stated at a press conference that he would be willing to step to the side if Luis Enrique ever wanted to return. It seems that he did indeed want to do this. Which brings us to this past week and this is where it gets a bit cloudy. According to the Spanish Federation President Luis Rubiales, it was Robert Moreno who informed the Federation of Luis Enrique's desire to return. He'd heard about it through the grapevine and wanted clarification. 
The Federation's view was that the doors had always been open to Luis Enrique if he wanted to return, but then there was the issue of what would happen with Robert Moreno, who apparently said he wouldn't stay on as assistant, who reportedly felt betrayed by Luis Enrique as he'd grown increasingly excited about the possibility of finishing what he'd started in qualification by leading Spain to the actual tournament. So, on Tuesday morning, it was confirmed that Luis Enrique was back in, Robert Moreno was out, and Robert Moreno didn't even attend the meeting, instead sending his lawyers in his place. He even snuck out of the Wanda Metropolitano on Monday night and didn't address the media. So upset was he at how things have gone. It's a bit of a mess, and this is where we are, so it's time to bring in Paco Pollitt and Roman de Arcaire. Paco, I'll start with you. Just generally, what are your thoughts on this whole mess? Well, there are two ways of looking at this uh, issue. First and foremost, I'm very happy, extremely happy for Luis Enrique after tragedy struck a few months ago with that, you know, uh, issue and uh, ultimately the um, the passing away of, of his daughter. But on the other hand, I don't really think the affair has been handled properly by the Spanish Federation. And I think Robert Moreno has been collateral damage, you could say. Uh, he really didn't deserve being treated this way and being, you know, uh, dismissed in an, such an unceremonious way last Monday. The public, I think, wants somebody to blame with this whole mess. So, Roman, who is to blame here? Is it Luis Rubiales? Is it Luis Enrique? Robert Moreno himself? Who's to blame? Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to find somebody to blame here because I, I personally think they're making a big deal out of this. I think the press is just talking, is way out of pr proportion. Um, of course, there is an important situation. It's a national team. And in the end, I just think it's it's not necessary to go too deep into this because it comes down to a personal beef, I think, between Robert Moreno and Luis Enrique. Because let's not forget that Robert said that he was willing to step aside if Luis Enrique would ever want to return. The Spanish Federation said the same thing. They were willing to give him his job back. And now that Luis Enrique wants it back, um, Robert isn't happy with his decision. So this comes down, as I said before, to that personal thing between them. They're, they're not happy. Something happened there. We, I don't know what it is, but something's happened. And, and he's not even going to be his second manager. So it's a bit unfortunate because Robert Moreno did a great job. And of course, he deserved to be in the Euros. But let's not forget that Lucho was the um, guy who started the project and is willing to finish it now. It's not great for Luis Rubiales. This is probably not what he needed right now after the controversy of the Supercopa de España going to Saudi Arabia after the strike in women's football. It's just one blow after another right now for Rubiales, right? Um, I actually can understand sort of what uh, Luis Rubiales is trying to do since he was elected as president. They are trying to take a more proactive approach than former president Angel Varia Villar who spearheaded a more, you know, old-fashioned federation. But that proactiveness sometimes can go against the Rubiales and the new management. That boldness, you know, tackling any subject and any issue makes him to um, clash, you could say, with third parties, obviously with La Liga and Javier Tebas. So that's the main source of most controversy. And that's the biggest problem to this point with the few months that he has been in charge. Because remember, Rubiales has only been president for around a year and a half. And that's actually not that long. 
No, not at all. And in about 17 months, they've had four coaching changes already for the Spanish national team. He's certainly been busy in that regard. Roman, you've spoken in previous podcasts about you almost didn't care who was the Spain coach. You just wanted somebody to be there and to have some time to get a plan together in time for the tournament. How detrimental do you think it'll be that they almost have to start once over again? Well, I mean, of course, it's it's not ideal. Uh, this situation isn't the best for the national side. But I kind of see it as a slight exception, taking into account all the circumstances that have happened with Luis Enrique and his family. And yet again, um, it could be worse because I think both uh, managers, as I've mentioned before, have a similar philosophy and similar mindset. Of course, they also have differences. Robert Moreno has tried to implement new ideas, but it's not the biggest of transitions. And I have to say, if the Euros was like next month or in two months, then I would be quite worried. But taking into account he still has until summer to work things out, it's not as bad as it could be. I do wonder about that point of these guys being similar tactically because you always think, well, Robert Moreno was Luis Enrique's assistant. They must have a similar style of football. But I actually think Robert Moreno's style has been quite different. It's been almost more similar to Lopetegui's. There's been a lot more passing, a lot more control, I think, under Robert Moreno compared to the quick and direct do-or-die football under Luis Enrique. Paco, what do you think about the tactical differences between these two coaches? Is there actually a bit more difference between their styles than some people think? I don't really think so. You know, I think uh, Luis Enrique will have zero trouble uh, easing in back straight into his former job because the fact is that he was the one to actually kickstart this new project in the Spanish national team back in August 2018. So most of the players who were picked in the Robert Moreno squads had already been selected under Luis Enrique with only a few exceptions such as Villarreal players Gerard Moreno, Pau Torres or even Dani Parejo who has been uh, in a more prominent role under uh, Robert Moreno than uh, Luis Enrique. So possibly yeah their style might be slightly different but at the end of the day 95% of the players will remain unchanged with the new coach. Poor Dani Parejo if he's the one who who misses out in all of this. Talking about the players, Roman, what, what must the squad, what, what must the players be thinking about all of this? Yet another coaching change. You've got guys there like Ramos and Busquets who won three trophies with just two coaches. What must they be thinking about all the turmoil of the past couple of years? Well, of course, there'll be a um, division of opinions here. Some will be happy Lucha's back. Some will be annoyed that Robert Moreno is leaving because they were doing quite well with him. And it, it comes... To be a, quite of a shock to the players, I think, in the end, not having that stability they might be uh, used to. But all in all, we know they're professionals and they're going to play and do their job no matter who's there. And in the end, I think they're going to be glad that Luis Enrique is back because it means he's, he's kind of recovered from that uh, really big trouble he had. So all in all, it could be worse. And finally, I want to know from both of you if you think Spain can win Euro 2020 and if you think they're more or less likely to win it now that Luis Enrique has returned. Well, yeah, of course, Spain can win the Euro 2020, but I'd still see a few teams such as France, for example, with slightly better chances because I see them you know, more consistent. Uh, they have players who have shown their quality back in the day. Also, they are the current world champions. So, no disrespect to Robert Moreno in this sense, but I think bringing Luis Enrique back means that his track record in big tournaments and 
limit situations will bring more things to the table and actually increase the chances of winning the trophy next summer. So ultimately, even though the whole affair has been pretty messy, I think um, having Luis Enrique brought back into the fold is going to be an advantage for Spain uh, regarding the, the tournament next summer. Well, in my case, I honestly don't see Spain winning the Euros at the moment. Um, I still think they have quite a lot of problems at the back. I, they haven't found the right partner for Sergio Ramos yet. They've tried players like Inigo, like Diego Llorente and other centre-backs, but I don't see that coordination and that security at the back. A team needs to win uh, the Euros. And then up ahead uh, in the striker position, I don't see a main number nine either scoring the goals. When Spain get lots of goals, it's usually shared among midfielders, strikers, defenders. And there's never that guy who's getting lots of goals. It's true that Gerard Moreno, he got two goals and the third one, another one was basically thanks to him. But I think Spain needs a reference up there to win such an important tournament. And in terms of Luis Enrique coming back, I think, like Paco, that it's an advantage for sure. He has more experience. He has that character I think a manager needs. And he has clear ideas. So I think it's a slight advantage for Spain uh, going into the Euros. Thanks both. We'll now get into a roundup of the actual football because it was actually quite good stuff from Spain as they beat Malta 7-0 with goals from Morata, Gazorla, Pau Torres, Sarabia, Dani Olmo, Gerard Moreno and Jesus Navas and Romania 5-0 with goals from Fabian Ruiz, Mikel Oyarzabal and own goal and a brace from Gerard Moreno. <laughs> Both matches were similar in the sense that it was a fresh face Spain 11 beaten up on a poor team. Okay, Romania are a lot better than Malta, but they didn't really play like it on Monday at the Wanda. I was there in person for the Spain versus Romania game and watched the Spain versus Malta match on the CV and what really struck me was the way they moved the ball around so well. There were some really nice passing triangles, they worked their way out of pressure and there was some really intelligent switches of play at points from left to right, right to left. With Alvaro Morata up top, they looked like they finally had a focal point in attack and Santi Cazorla, who we just did a La Liga Lodan episode on that you should definitely check out, he showed that he is a man for the present, he is a man for next summer. Then you've got some of the younger players who were coming through and it all looked very bright and positive for Spain, but alas, it's all been ripped up and we're starting again. Again. We'll turn our attention back to La Liga now as we head into the 14th match day, and to do so, we'll be bringing back Paco and Roman to tackle our followers' mailbag questions. We'll do that after this short break. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown podcast. We've just discussed all the latest drama with the Spanish national team. Now we look back towards La Liga and we'll discuss the first third of the season through your questions. We've been asking you to send us questions on Twitter. It's at La Liga Lowdown if you're not already following us. And we've got Roman de Arquer and Paco Pollitt here to look at them. So the first one we've got FFI Test Dan asks, What's happened to the panda, to Borja Iglesias at Betis? Is he losing purely because of lowering form or is there more to it than that Roman I'll let you tackle this one well um, of course uh, Lauren's great form is, is part of the reason why Borja isn't playing because he's getting the goals and when a striker is scoring uh, you know that the manager is going to go for him but I think it comes down to many other factors like for example let's not forget in the first game of the season Borja Iglesias got injured so his adaptation was kind of interrupted and it wasn't easy for him to get into the dynamic of the team then also Betty's poor form in general as a team obviously has to affect Borja Iglesias if they're not playing well he's not going to play well and let's not forget that at Espanyol, Borja Iglesias was a reference. He was their main player and, the, and other teammates were looking for him. Whereas now you have other guys such as Fekir, such as Canales, such as Lauren, who's getting those goals. So it's not as easy to adapt when a team isn't playing for you. Sticking with Real Betis, Michael Quinn asks, how much longer before Ruby is fired? Paco, what do you think? <laughs> well, sure, people like managers getting the sack, right? Um, I, I don't really understand it. You know, that's kind of, you know, uh, you could say <laughs> uh, preference. But anyway, I would say to Michael that I actually think Ruby will hang in there till the end of the season. Um, two reasons to back this up. The first one, I think they will string a few wins soon. And they will obviously improve a bit. And number two, Betty's management, Betty's board actually, are a bit weird in that regard. And I know just how passionate the fans can be over there in, in Sevilla. So as long as there is a Ruby or whoever to blame if the wins don't come, fans are distracted and they won't look up to the board inside the executive box. So I think, Michael, that Ruby is going to stay with us just a little bit longer. Another coach here, someone else wants to know if they'll stick out the season. So here's another one for you, Paco. That Barton asks, do you think Zidane will last the full season at Real Madrid if this Champions League goes wrong and league form continues to stall? What do you reckon? This one is very tricky, especially as um, Real might be nowadays, in my view, 
in their f best form since the first few months of 2018. We're talking about over 18 months of lackluster performances, especially under Solari, what happened later, Zidane coming in once again. And I think that they are really hitting their stride nowadays. They have improved in many areas. But, you know, my man, that Barton is painting here a pretty bleak picture overall. If Champions League goes wrong and if league form is not the best, 99% of Madrid coaches, anyone, would get the sack straight away. You know, no second chances. But, you know, Zidane actually embodies that remaining 1%. So I think that Zidane is going to finish the season regardless, even if there's tragedy both in the Champions League and the league and, remember, Copa del Rey. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that one and I think it's a, a very tricky question to answer. Okay, a question for Roman then this time. Andrew Miller asks, do you think Diego Costa would have had a better international career had he played for his native Brazil or was switching to Spain the right decision for him? Well, no matter what the right answer is for that, I don't blame Diego Costa for the decision he made. I think at a personal level at the time, it was certainly the correct decision because, I mean, he built his career as a footballer basically in Spain. It's where people discovered the true Diego Costa. And in part, he was willing to give back to Spain what he'd learned. And he also had all these teammates, uh, all these Spanish teammates playing in, in, in the national side. Plus, Spain had come from having a lot of success in recent years, being one of the... Uh, biggest or best countries in football. So I think Diego Costa made the right decision all in all, but in my opinion, I think he would have possibly adapted, adapted better to Brazil in terms of their style, how they play more direct, more vertically, because I feel Diego Costa um, is more similar to that weather than having to receive the ball more to the midfield and, and try and play with possession. So I would have liked to see Diego Costa in Brazil, to be honest. We've got another question here and several people ask the same kind of question. So George Heeks, Jezza Penguin and Hassan Ashas all ask about the potential game in the USA. Basically, they want to know if anyone is in favour of it and if it would actually help to improve revenues and cut the gap to the Premier League. They also want to know why La Liga has been trying to seek approval for these matches with just a few months of warning. I'd like to hear an answer from both of you on this one. Paco, let's go to you first. OK, my view, this is 100% a stunt move. Um, would it improve awareness? Absolutely, but actually not much more than any friendly played by Spanish teams in July or August. You know, those uh, summer tournaments are uh, one of the best ways to promote Spanish football in the United States. And I don't really think a game being played in the middle of the season would be much different. Um, about the revenue issue, definitely they would increase revenue, but only in a one-shot way, uh, you know, only for that single game and not overall. And I think that La Liga should try to aim higher in that sense and try to increase overall revenue and not only the way that single game is marketed and the um, um, people attending the game and ho however or 70,000 people going into the game. Yeah, that is fine, but we have to look higher up in our list of priorities. So I'm not totally against it, but I definitely think that La Liga are playing a bit clumsy in the way such an event is being announced. Also in the way it's being managed with the clubs involved and also the way it's being promoted. 
and the mix of these three problems has the um, majority of the public opinion against this kind of stunt. So at the end of the day, um, I believe that it wouldn't be that bad to play this sort of uh, match um, in January, for example, uh, wherever it is in the United States, Miami or whatsoever. But I think that there must be a more consistent plan behind this. Well, I mean, if you have a membership of, of a club and you're, you're affected by it, I can understand that you're annoyed and that you don't want this game to be played abroad. But on the other hand, we have to understand that there are fans all over the world. And those with a membership are probably the minority. There are fans in the USA, there are fans in Asia, there are fans in Africa. And I mean, it's good also to give them a chance to watch one of these games live because they don't really uh, get to see it apart from their, their TVs, of course. So I think it's just part of, of globalization, of, of exposure of the clubs. And obviously it ha will have a positive economic impact. So... I think it's kind of inevitable in, lo in the long term, but in terms of it being like announced just a few months with warning, I think that has to do with the beef between La Liga and the Spanish Federation, where Tebas will do anything possible to annoy uh, Rubiales and uh, the opposite. So that beef shouldn't be taken too much into account. I sh we should think about that exposure I mentioned before and how positive it would be in terms of globalization. Rishi Malhorta asks, how do you think the Spanish Association should tackle inequality between the richest and poorest clubs in the league? The duopoly of Barca and Madrid have won eight of the nine previous leagues. He asks, what chance is there for lesser teams? I can tackle this one, actually. The first thing to know, I guess, is really that it's an issue for La Liga and not the Spanish Federation to deal with. And La Liga is doing quite a lot to help with this. They're running all sorts of initiatives to help the smaller clubs keep up with the bigger ones. But I think the main thing has to do obviously with TV money and ahead of the 2016-17 season they started selling the TV rights collectively and this meant that they could sell the rights for a bigger deal and what they did was they also started to distribute it a little bit more evenly so they kind of increased the size of the pie and then also split it into more even slices. There's some numbers here so look, Real Madrid and Barcelona have grown their revenues a little too uh, over the past three seasons Barcelona have increased their TV income from 140 million euros to 154 million, Real Madrid 140, 148. The increase is 10% for Barcelona, 5% for Real Madrid and the only reason for the difference between those two is because Barcelona have been finishing higher in the table. When you look at Atletico Madrid for example, their income has gone up from 69 million euros to 111 million euros. That's an increase of 61%. Or look at Ibar, theirs has gone up by an increase of 64%. So this is how the smaller teams are getting closer to Real Madrid and Barcelona. Sure, these these guys are still going to win the league most years, but they don't do it with 100 points anymore like they used to in 2012 and 2013. So moving on, we've got another question here. Uh, Rutuj RMCF asks, how disastrous would it be for a club like Depor to go down to the Segunda B? Would you shed some light on their fall from grace from the days of Super Depor to the current situation? Uh, Roman, what do you make of uh, the struggles over at Depor? Well, I mean, obviously going down to Segunda B is very bad. It's going to have a very negative economic impact for starters, which um, consequently means that they're going to lose their better players, they're going to lose uh, better managers, the staff. 
So that means, again, having to rebuild once again with a new mindset in a new category where you have different objectives, different planning. So it's very, very, very complicated for a club uh, to restructure itself when it goes down uh, a division. It's very different playing in Primera from playing in Segunda from playing in uh, Segunda B. And in terms of what happened um, to Super Deport, and then being now um, so low in the in the second division, I think it has to do with with the economic struggles, how the team was handled by the decision makers back at the time. I mean, now I read that they have a debt of nearly 100 million euros, so that obviously has an impact. And if we look at the team right now, um, eight of Depor's players are low knees, and low knees should be there just to occupy certain positions at certain times, not to uh, be a referent for a team. So there's a lot of instability, and also in terms of the youth system, it's been developed very badly which has also led to this current situation. So it's been uh, very poor um, managing by the board members in these um, past years. And unfortunately, uh, this can happen to any club like it happens to a company. One day it thrives and another it crashes. Thanks, Roman. And thanks to Paco as well. And of course, thanks to everyone for taking the time to send in your questions and for listening to this episode. Continue the debates with us over on our Twitter account and check out that Santi Cazola podcast as well if you haven't already. We'll be back with a Match Day 14 recap episode on Monday, November 25th. We'll speak to you then.